Good morning. I'm Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM. I am so pleased today to have a mentor, a friend, a colleague, Mr. John Rigazzi, who is author of the book, Infonomics and the Business of Free, Modern Value Creation of Information Services. John, welcome to the program, and, and thank you for interrupting your very busy day uh, and joining us to share your thoughts and your insights on your new book and also on leadership as well. Well, good morning, Darrell, and it's, it's really very good to be here with you, and I'm, I'm looking forward to our talk. Excellent, excellent. John, before we dive into the book, uh, Infonomics and the Business of Free, can you share with our audience the highlights of your education career and your experience? Because it is so vast and so great. I, I, I want them to get a feel for who we have on the program. Well, I, I'd be delighted. I, I started out in the academic world, and uh, uh, I hate to admit it, uh, nearly 40 years ago. I hate to admit it not because it was the academic world, but because <laughs> Years ago, uh, and uh, as you say, it has uh, it's been it's been a while, and I don't know where it quite went. I started uh, actually on the faculty of uh, Rutgers University, uh, and um, I was there only in my first year when a when a friend of mine, uh, a fellow by the name of Davis McCorn, who actually had built the National Library of Medicine Medline uh, system. Mm was building uh, a similar system for a publishing company in the Bronx called the H.W. Wilson Company, which was a, 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 a very old and, and historic uh, publishing company, publishing, publishing things like Reader's Guide to Periodical Literature and so forth. And he was tasked to move their linotype machines over to the, to, the, to the modern world, and he asked me if I would join him. And I said I'd, I'd be delighted. I took a one-year leave of absence from the faculty, but... One thing led to another. One mortgage payment led to another mortgage payment and so forth, and I, I wound up spending about 35 years in the corporate uh, information services uh, sector. Uh, during that period, I worked for two companies primarily, um, or most significantly, I guess, Engineering Information, uh, which was an uh, information services company uh, to professional engineers, which I sold to Elsevier. Uh, which uh, you know well and, and is the largest uh, scientific, technical, and medical information services company in the world. I retired from Elsevier uh, as CEO. I stayed with Elsevier after the sale and, and uh, took on additional responsibilities, retired as uh, CEO of their North American operations about uh, six years ago and went back to the academic world. So I went full circle. I uh, uh, was uh, a dean of a college at uh, Long Island University and uh, uh, a couple of years ago stepped back into the faculty and now I teach uh, primarily in a joint graduate program of Long Island University and New York University. But John, all along the way, you, you also uh, had some entrepreneurial uh, leanings as you were on the board of directors for Calexis and uh, as my mentor, you introduced me to Calexis, and which turned out to be a very innovative company. Tell us a little bit more ab about how you dived into that area of entrepreneurship. Well, I, you know, I think um, this is a very exciting sector, and we're, uh, the professional information services sector that uh, I think we're generally speaking about is uh, is very exciting. And, and uh, in fact, uh, I'm trying to do more in that area uh, uh, with a company called Akoya Capital. But prior to, uh, to that, um, actually, we had invested in Calexis um, 
at Elsevier, uh, it was a, a very, as you know, innovative company in, in the area of semantic search, and uh, we were never quite, it was, it, it was never quite able to integrate it into the way we would like to have integrated it into, uh, into Elsevier, and so we went our separate ways. But when it became available again as a separate standalone company, I was delighted to, uh, to, join, uh, to join the board to work with you and the management team there and uh, to build what I think was quite, a, uh, quite an innovative uh, uh, effort uh, with the, act, act, uh, with the uh, launch of Biomed uh, Experts and, and, and some of their other uh, products there. But I think generally, you know, it's just a very exciting time to be in the uh, professional information services world. Absolutely. And, and, and recently, uh, within the last year, I, I know that you worked on an acquisition uh, with Akoya Capital. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I'm, I'm working with Akoya Capital and, and heading up their uh, sector called Professional Information Services uh, uh, se- sector. Uh, we're interested in investing both capital and talent in small to mid-size uh, prof- uh, information services company that provide services to professionals, so scientists, educators, um, lawyers, uh, and, 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 and so forth. We see lots of innovation in that space particularly among uh, small to mid-sized companies in enterprise value of 20 to $200 million. Uh, we see lots of talent in that sector, and we're very, very excited about that. And, and as you say, last year we made our first uh, entry into that and invested in a company called uh, LawLogic. We work uh, with another private equity uh, bank, uh, PNC River Arch, which is the investment arm of uh, the Pittsburgh National Bank. And together, we acquired uh, the sponsoring um, interest in a uh, company in Phoenix called uh, LawLogic. And what's, I think, interesting about LawLogic is that it wasn't just capital that uh, I think uh, we brought there. Uh, We did certainly bring uh, capital uh, to the company, and and, uh, that was needed, but probably not their most significant need. In fact, the two founders were running uh, the organization primarily as co, uh, co-CEOs, and they knew that they needed full-time uh, management and probably that the management team, in order to take the organization to the next level, needed to be upgraded. Uh, one of the founders is a law professor at uh, Stanford University, so he has a separate professional career that he couldn't devote himself full-time. And the other uh, founder uh, worked in the area of systems and sales, and and he was at a point in his life where he was not prepared to make a full-time commitment. And so what we brought to, the, to that company was, uh, was capital. Uh, it was also management talent. We hired a, a full-time CEO who's there now and in Phoenix. We've also upgraded uh, their uh, financial services uh, competencies and their technical uh, staff. And also we've, uh, we've been working with the founders in really fashioning a new strategy. And I, and I and I have to say for the listeners, the CEO of Law Logics is a former manager of mine, Roland Dietz, who is quite uh, an, an accomplished executive. And I understand recently that uh, he put out a uh, a, a notice on Twitter uh, that Law Logics was rated in the I don't know if it's the top 100 or top 200 companies uh, within their category, which is which is quite an accomplishment in a short period of time. That's, that's right. We're very proud of Law Logic. It's growing very fast. It's growing between 30 and 50 percent, depending on what financial metric you're using. It, uh, it, it, 
it is the seven-time winner of the Inc. Uh, 500 or 5,000 um, award uh, in, in different categories. And the only other company to have done that seven times in a row was Microsoft. So we're not quite there yet, but we're very... <laughs> You're in good company. <laughs> company to be in. And, uh, and, and yes, I think um, the, the founders did a tremendous job and, and, uh, and uh, built a very solid company, but they recognized they needed... Uh, more than just capital to try to get it to the next level, and that's what we're trying to do with that. And I and and I think we see a lot. And I think that you know, to generalize a bit, we just think that there's going to be a lot of opportunities like that in this sector. It's a very very exciting uh, area. It's innovative. We see a lot of talent, a lot of people that are coming with new ideas, new ways of creating automated information services, digital services, and um, and and, uh, and 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 the ability to to work with them or the opportunity to work with them, we think is, uh, is, is great. And John, so let's talk about your book, Infonomics and the Business of Free, a modern value creation for information services. What was your primary objective in writing this book? Well, you know, it, it really started with, um, I think, uh, the a lot of the changes that I saw in the industry and a lot of the, the changes that you and I had to face when we were together at Colexis and, and a lot of the changes that we're facing in, in law logic. And, and I think, you know, generally speaking, consumers, whether they're um, individuals looking for information for their, uh, for their uh, personal lives, travel, banking, or whether they're professionals looking for information around their professional uh, needs, uh, they make decisions every day uh, about uh, how to acquire information. And more and more, they, I think, have four uh, perceptions about information. One, that it's available on the web. Two, that it is uh, readily accessible and uh, useful. Three, that it has been verified. And four, that it is free. And whether or not those are true or not in every case is, is not the point. But I think, generally speaking, most of us think that. We think, well, if we need a piece of information, it's on the web, it's probably right, I can get it, and it isn't going to cost me anything. And I think that, that, that those four perceptions really uh, shift the way we can create value now around content, the way we can create value around information, what, what, we, have, what we as an industry need to do to respond to, uh, to that kind of motivation and, uh, and behavior around information. And so the book was written in some no small way for uh, management who's struggling with creating information services and trying to think about how they change in some cases uh, from where they are to uh, these new behaviors and, and be responsive to, to, to customers, uh, as well as individuals who are thinking about getting in and trying to create information service and how to create value around that uh, as a new entrant. You know, you, you raise a very valid point because uh, I, I just interviewed a, a, a guest recently. Um, it's going to air in the future on a book on Waffle Street, and we're talking about um, Wall Street and, and the issues there and, and, and the couple of bubbles that we've seen. The one bubble, of course, back in uh, 2000, 2002, was the Internet bubble where folks thought that um, they can just put information up there and that the adver advertising dollars would, would come. And that is not the case. 
but also a key point that you raise in your four key things that assumptions that people make is that number three is that the information is verified and four that it's free um but somebody has to verify it and that person has to be paid a salary uh, therefore what is the business model and will advertising uh make it available and we've seen a lot of companies struggle uh with that uh, we're seeing a number of newspapers are starting to put paywalls back up. Where, where do you see this pendulum swinging now in regards to those four attributes that you talk about uh, in regards to information, what people's expectations are? And with the expectation, will they, feel, will they still want it to be free? Well, I think, look, I think you're absolutely right. I think if you look at a, a, a wide swath of information, it is often not verified, and that's a problem. Uh, and and we're seeing, uh, you know, we're seeing that the consumption of information that often is leads to a lot of dissatisfaction where it's not verified. And as you rightly point out, it 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 isn't free. It, someone has to pay for its production. Someone has to pay for its distribution, uh, its maintenance, and so forth. What what makes the um, uh, what makes it uh, complicated, I think, to some extent, is that you know, sort of the uh, pricing uh, uh, approach, so uh, pricing uh, around marginal cost economics. In other words, what does it cost to produce one more of this good that I'm doing, and can I build my pricing around that? The problem with information is that, that, that marginal cost pricing doesn't work because the cost of producing one more piece of information is, in fact, zero uh, or near zero, and that's why we see so much of information free. In other words, we can we can actually produce another copy of it. The first mm-hmm. costs a lot of money, but we can produce another copy of it uh, free. And so what happens, I think, is that more and more we're seeing bundling of information services where we're putting together content and uh, functionality that delivers the right piece of information at the right time, and that's valuable, and, and individuals will pay for that. We'll see where we can extract uh, other kind of information from the data such as your, such as you know, what we worked in with semantic search, where we can also see um, uh, different analytics around the information, uh, what's uh, what's more emphasized or less emphasized, where there are trends and so forth. And I think it's those things more and more that will be the value drivers in the equation. And so I think that the time when we can extract a great deal of value from, for example, content alone sort of the classic publishing model, are gone. The rules have changed. Content may have been king at one point, but it's not king alone anymore. There's just too much of it. It's a commodity. You can get alternative pieces of content. You can get content that gives you similar kind of insight, uh, and uh, you can get content from a variety of sources, uh, no longer just the publishers themselves. You can uh, plug into knowledge networks and social networks and get similar kinds of information. Uh, by interacting with colleagues. So I, I think there's an example where we can't turn the clock back uh, with all of the uh, uh, firewalls in the world uh, set up. That won't work alone. It, it, I think it's a, it's a model that the newspapers are using and to good effect, but, but they're combining it often, at least the good ones, with other kinds of value-added services that I think consumers more and more will pay for. And I have a lot of examples of that uh, in the book. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Dr. John Ragazzi, who is the author of the book, 
Infonomics and the Business of Free, Modern Value Creation for Information Services. John, open access, we've seen it. It's been around now going on 13, 14 years. And I'm starting to see articles uh, in the scholarly kitchen that are alluding to the point that, hmm, it's not a... Open access might not be a, a, a fair playing field in regards to authors who are getting their papers published, and those papers might not be um, good good research. Also, uh, I guess eLife is in the in PubMed or being criticized because PubMed allowed eLife to put their information up on there before I guess there is a uh, probationary period for a publisher. Where do you think open access is headed? I think open access is, is, is um, has a place in the um, information uh, uh, and publishing landscape. I think uh, there are uh, lots of good examples of open access uh, where um, PLOS and these others, high-quality information going forward, uh, peer-reviewed and so forth. I, I think with a, a lot of the... Free, there, there's a danger when you move your business model um, away from the consumer. Mm-hmm. A classical um, journal subscription, you have uh, the subscribers paying for, uh, for, for the uh, information, and the author uh, contributes it uh, free and benefits from uh, the distribution of the knowledge and, uh, and, and other uh, personal attributes as well, uh, reputation and so forth. What happens in that environment, I think, is that the market can react to the quality of the, um, of the information and, in a sense, um, can decide that that quality is something that they're willing to pay more and more for or less and less for. Mm-hmm. Quality. Mm-hmm. As you move that business model to the other end of the spectrum, where the author pays or the, or the um, institution that the author works for uh, pays, I think you have to uh, uh, you have an, an additional challenge there that you need to be very cognizant of, and that is that your economic model is awfully close to, uh, in a sense, a conflicted interest. And uh, that is, you can drive if if that journal gets in trouble and you need and you need more economic uh, 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 dollars, uh, you can drive those economic dollars by simply uh, tapping in to a huge demand for publishing that's driven by a lot of different things, including the need to, uh, need to publish in a university or perish, and lots of other, th- and, and, and as well as reputation building and so forth. And I think that the open access uh, publishers who are successful are managing that challenge well. And if you don't manage that challenge well, you have a real challenge to quality. Mm-hmm. I, I see that uh, Biomed Central, which is now owned by Springer, they seem to be moving along very quietly, uh, but moving along very nicely. It seems that that, that model is working for them. And I think the model where you give the uh, uh, author a choice, the so-called hybrid model, mm-hmm. author can decide, all right, d- d- shall I pay for it and make it available free, but it goes into an established journal uh, where um, uh, there's a set process and protocol around peer review and, 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 and type of article, quality of article, and so forth, so that th- 
author has the choice of, uh, of either putting it under a subscription model or an open access model. I think that's, that's certainly growing and where I think there's a, a, a good balance there of maintaining the quality of the journal as well as, uh, as, well as opening it up and providing other forms of, uh, of um, publishing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and John, I am biased. I believe this is a very important read for all information executives. Uh, but from your perspective, why is this an important book for publishing executives to, to uh, and information executives to understand and to read and understand? Well, you know, I, I would say uh, the, the, certainly the rules are, have changed. And, uh, and, and where we are creating value, as we've just talked about, has changed uh, 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 dramatically. And I think, uh, you know, future developments will depend uh, largely on the way uh, corporate, government, and public entities and communities respond to uh, respond in terms of how they make these services and, 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 and what kinds of decisions they make around what properties of value they build in. And so, you, you know, you mentioned, for example, newspapers. Well, at one point, there were decisions of, uh, that, uh, that the content um, would be made available free and that the business model was around, uh, around uh, an advertising model. And, and that clearly didn't work. I, could, I don't criticize it. I could see myself doing exactly the same thing. But that's the kind of thing, I, uh, that's the kind of thing that I think is important to really think through. What are these trends? What are the... What, what are we seeing happening, and how do we make decisions about uh, about uh, creating value in the uh, uh, in, in the information systems that we uh, that we are developing? You know, speaking about um, how do we make money, I I, I just heard a report uh, this morning about uh, Google's latest profits. I, I think they made uh, three to five billion dollars in quarterly profits, and that their stock price is approaching. Uh, $1,000 per share. So obviously they figured this out a long time ago, unlike the, the rest of the industry. Where do you see uh, a Yahoo uh, developing value to, to compete with Google? Well, that, I think that's a very hard question. I think uh, uh, Yahoo, I think, is trying now to uh, begin to differentiate itself and really uh, uh, find different segments, and I think that's very important. I think you know you start with understanding not the market as as a whole, uh, obviously, and I, I know your listeners are well aware of this, but but really try and identify uh, the segments where you can uh, add some value. And I think those segments are very different. The, the kinds of information needs that uh, a, a consumer who's planning a travel uh, a travel uh, a trip, uh, I should say. Mm-hmm. Very different than a physician who needs to make a judgment about uh, what drug to prescribe at the point of care. Right. And, mm-hmm. so, and, and so I think under and so I think the business models, the content, the uh, kinds of access, what search means in those uh, in, in those cases, what uh, kinds of uh, systems that you deploy, what channels of distribution you deploy, are are very different. And you need to get a deep domain knowledge of of that. Uh, and, 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 and in doing that, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't advise uh, uh, Yahoo uh, versus Google except to say that I think they're actually right-headed in terms of thinking about different segments and how they can move deeper into, deeper and deeper into different segments and differentiate themselves that way versus uh, uh, trying to be uh, a, a, a more robust 
search engine again. Mm-hmm. And John, how did you come about selecting the, the title of your book, Infonomics in the Business of Free? Um, well, infonomics was simply a, a term that I coined to describe um, uh, uh, the underlying value of information today, how it's produced, uh, how it, uh, how the market uh, demand for it has changed, how user behaviors are are, are changing as we discussed, uh, and, and and essentially how it's how it uh, how information itself and the economics of information is uh, really uh, uh, changing uh, in, in terms of how that how information as an economic good is being bought and sold and traded. In economic terms, and so I think uh, you know, as I, I you know, I think if you think about it, uh, when I first came into the industry, certainly uh, in, in the early days of digitization, um, as I mentioned earlier, content was king, and, and if you had the right content, so-called must-have content, you could charge a a, a real premium for that. Mm-hmm. And no matter how you were producing it, whether you're producing it in print, whether you're producing it in a newsletter, or whether it was a book, it almost uh, I won't say it didn't matter, but it, but but that was not as important as, as as having ownership of that proprietary quote right information. Today, the ability to have the quote must have information exclusively uh, is much reduced if it exists at all. Right. And in order to create value around that, mm-hmm. you really need to uh, add value-added services and other kinds of features and functionalities uh, that, and embed it often in other systems not exclusive content distribution systems, but other systems that provide access to uh, that content or that functionality. And, and very often, even information systems are around uh, not content at all. So our, uh, our, our um, company, LawLogic, for example, provides case management mm-hmm. software to right. immigration attorneys. And what we provide is the ability to organize their content, uh, to calendarize and to, to analyze, I should say, what uh, options a particular client might have around different visa options. And then once the, one of those options is chosen, uh, the, the ability to uh, bring in the right documents, uh, both personal documents from uh, the individual applying for the visa as well as uh, legal uh, precedents and case law and so forth, and as well as, as well as the whole functionality around calendarizing uh, the, the, the process, what has to be done when, what forms have to be submitted, if, do, are there court appearance required? If so, uh, when are those uh, required by and so forth? So it, it isn't even, I would say, centrally content-focused. It's really functionally focused. It's a workflow. We call it a workflow solution. And that workflow uh, solution, by, by being able to deliver the right function at the right time as opposed to the right content at the right time now, I think is becoming more and more valuable in the information service. And, and, John, there you're talking about improving productivity and providing the right information in the right context and, more important, most importantly, in the workflow. That is, that is a huge benefit to your uh, legal community, I'm sure. I, I think I, I fully agree with that. I think, you, you know, it, ultimately value comes down to uh, either the ability to save money or, 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 or generate. Uh, generate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, John, believe it or not, we're almost out of time, unfortunately. We've got to have you back on a program. But to my, to my listeners, you have to buy this book, your preface in regards to the role that Cinnamon played uh, back in the early days. I, I, I was fascinated by that. How did you come up with this, uh, this idea of using 
um, how cinnamon became a hot commodity uh, back in the early early days. Well, I, I, it's a, it's, I'm not sure how I did. I, I read a book years ago called The Nutmeg Wars, and it, it, I was fascinated by it. And then I began drawing parallels to what <laughs> happened there to, um, to, uh, to information, and somehow I try to connect it in the preface. Uh, that's <laughs> uh, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. I was sitting there uh, Sunday morning because, thank you, you sent me the book, and, and I really appreciate the sentiments that you wrote in the book. I, 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 I treasure this. And I'm sitting there at the kitchen table reading this out loud to my wife and daughter. And my daughter goes, wow, I didn't know that cinnamon was, was that powerful of a tool back then. And uh, the analogies, the, the similarities that you raise are, are very good. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are here with uh, executive professor, author, John Rigazzi, my mentor. Uh, and he has just published his book through the IGI Press Infonomics and the Business of Free Modern Value Creation for Information Services. If you ever want to know what's going on in the information world, in which we're all about information now, I, I urge you to, uh, to go out and, and buy this book and read it. And, and, John, what are your plans to promote the book? Are you going to uh, go on the lecture circuit? I've been asked to speak about it, and uh, that's uh, I, I'm open to that, and, and I do have some uh, some. Uh, engagements that are in the works and nothing firm yet. It, the book only came out uh, last month. So uh, th there's going to be a webinar, I think, that uh, uh, that Enface uh, will uh, sponsor, or uh, they've asked me to sponsor in the early part of next year, and uh, I'll give a webinar around it. So uh, there's some things uh, uh, like that, and uh, uh, I, I, uh, I'm not, I, beyond that, I don't have uh, many more specific plans. Okay. Well, thank you for coming on the program, John. Well, it's been a pleasure, Darrell. Really, I, I've listened to your program and I've enjoyed it, and I feel uh, I feel very good and privileged to have to be part of it. Oh, and, and it's my honor to have you and privileged to have you on the program, ladies and gentlemen. That's it for this weekend. This is Darrell Gunter, your host of Leadership on WSOU eighty nine point five FM at Seton Hall University and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Remember. Leadership begins with you. Have a great weekend.